Please turn with me in your Bible to the book of Ephesians, chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 19 to 22. We're in a series of sermons through this spectacular letter of Ephesians. The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote this letter to churches. At the time, it was a group of churches living in a cosmopolitan, commercial, multi-religious setting. And Paul's message to them is a manifesto for the church. Our passage today is a crescendo uh, of what we learned last week of these tremendous benefits of Christ's reconciling work on the cross for the church. Just think of it, God's eternal cosmic plan to unite everything under Christ has been accomplished, and the church is the glimpse of this glorious future of all things that are united under his rule. So let's... um, Listen carefully and follow along as I read Ephesians 2, 19 and 22. Let's hear God's word together. So then, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him... The whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time and your word. We pray that you would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of you. May the eyes of our hearts be enlightened to know the hope that we have in Christ in the immeasurable greatness of your power toward us who believe. We want to know you better and be changed by your spirit, all for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. In 1787, Richard Allen, a freed slave who had purchased his own freedom, joined St. George's Methodist Episcopal Church in Philadelphia. At the time, blacks and whites worshiped together. Well, sort of. They had some policies and pew designations. But during a prayer time, Richard Allen and his friend Absalom, they were joined in prayer with other believers um, in the church, and they were forced to stand up and move to a different spot in the prayer meeting. As a matter of fact, it was going on so often that uh, Richard Allen really got frustrated with the limitations of the black uh, parishioners in the church, and they left. They left that church, and they started the African Methodist Episcopal Church, the AME. That was the first independent black church in the United States. Fast forward a couple hundred years to 1950. Billy Graham's uh, speaking, and this is what he says in one of his public addresses. Sunday at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour in America. Martin Luther King Jr. will reiterate this in his Birmingham jail letter. Just this week, in 2021, the largest Protestant denomination had their annual meeting. And I was reading some of the literature about different presidential candidates and how they'll vote for him and who they'll vote for And it was interesting how polarizing and divided it was. Well, all that to say, what has changed in the church? Are we more unified? Are we more collected? Sadly, no. It's still largely true 
of what's happening here. And as we read in Scripture, how do we live this out if, it, if we can't uh, visibly see it and experience it? But this is important for us to understand. Jesus is not surprised by this. Jesus prayed for our unity. In John 17, it says, he said this, he prayed this, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us. These are prayers that will not go unanswered. If we, even if we don't fully see it yet, this is the oneness Jesus purchased for us on the cross. And it's a oneness we still have to pursue. Interesting, isn't it, that on the one hand, we, it is true, we are unified in Christ. We are one because it was accomplished for us by Jesus' blood on the cross. Those who are far away have been brought near. And yet, if you glance over at chapter 4, you'll notice in verse 3 there, it says, um, it was to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. In verse 12 of chapter 4, he says, God has given the church gifts in order to do this, to build up the body of Christ, until we all reach unity in the faith. So notice how exhortations of chapter 4 are given after the truthful facts of who we are. We are one. And that's how the book of Ephesians is written. The first, uh, if, you're, if you're a grammarian and you want to look at verbs, the uh, first three chapters, all the verbs, uh, predominantly the verbs, are in the indicative. That means statements of fact, statements that have been accomplished, what God has already done for us in Christ. And then starting in chapter four, the verbs change to the imperative. And then all these commands are all reflecting what has already been stated and what's already true of us. So we work out who we are by becoming more like who we are. It's a great uh, story, isn't it, of how the gospel is meant to drive all of our uh, applications and obedience to the Lord. And our verses today, I want us to take this away. This is what God is telling the church. In Christ, we are being built up together for God's dwelling. Therefore, trust him even when you don't fully experience it. God is building his church together. We're being to be God's dwelling, and we're to trust him even when we don't fully experience it all the time. Our outline this morning is pretty simple. I'm just going to grab the three images that are in the passage. And by doing this, we will learn how to become who we are. And the three images of citizens of God's kingdom, members of God's household, and being built as a holy temple in the Lord. Notice how each of these uh, images has increasing intensity with the Lord. So citizens, you relate to God as your king. Members, God in your household, God is your father. And temple, you are indwelt by God. We're indwelling, very close and intimate idea of him dwelling among us, inside us. And notice how these three images also have increasing intensity with the relationship with each other. I mean, citizens of the same kingdom, kingdom, we could still be miles apart, but family members in the same house, same roof, they're right next to each other. And then being built up into this holy temple of the Lord, these bricks are going right next to each other. They're being mortared together, cemented. You're not escaping this one. This is how the stones are being built. So each of those have intensity toward the Lord 
in intensity toward one another. So let, let's look at each of the images and really draw, what does this say about the church? First, we are citizens in God's kingdom. Verse 19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with the saints, with God's people. Once again, Paul's reminding us who we are before Christ. We were foreigners and strangers. This echoes back to verse 12. At that time, you were without Christ, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and foreigners to the covenants of promise, without hope and without God in the world. Now, politically, the people in Ephesus were not foreigners in the Roman Empire. They were citizens of the Roman Empire living in Ephesus. But spiritually speaking, they were not included in God's covenant. Gentiles were outside the promises of God, and that's a big deal. They were foreigners to God's kingdom. They were strangers to the kingdom, and that's a bigger kingdom. That's a bigger reality than the Roman Empire, which doesn't exist today, right? God's kingdom still is reigning, still growing, and that's what they were, they were uh, foreigners to, was being in God's kingdom. And how do we enter God's kingdom is by being born again, by believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, God's greater king in Jesus. We enter this kingdom, and it's a kingdom that grows and is established. And this is the true citizenship of churches, of our church, of Christians. So a foreigner, just think about being a foreigner. You don't have rights to citizenship. They're, you're homeless. They're, you, you lack security and protection. You're, you're disconnected from society. Maybe you've seen those uh, ceremonies. They're really fun when people become citizens of a, like USA. You know, it's a party, it's cake, it's celebration, and, and they're just so thankful to have a home, to have an identity in this. Now, multiply that by a million, and that's how we should feel being citizens. There we go. And that's how we should feel about being citizens in uh, God's kingdom. Is that King Jesus, he's, this kingdom is going to reign forever. This is the kingdom you're, you're going to be a part of that will never end. Um, and we're fellow citizens. Do you see the phrase? With the saints. Fellow citizens with the saints. Saints are all those in heaven and on earth who place their faith in Lord Jesus Christ, who are set apart for God and transformed by his grace. We become one with them. You're not a second-class citizen in this kingdom. Uh, John Piper uses this illustration. That was pretty good. Let's say you play football for the Minnesota Vikings, and, and you're picked, you're drafted, you're chosen to be part of the New Orleans Saints. So you transfer to the Saints, and you don't show up to practice in your Vikings uniform. You show up with a helmet and the pads and jersey of the Saints because you're on the team. You're not a second-class citizen. You weren't drafted to sit on the bench and feel uninvolved or unaccepted. No, you have full acceptance, equal rights, you're part of the team. You're part of the country. Philippians 3.20, it says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly wait a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is the first image that God wants us to see about the church. And think of the implications that you're, think of this implication. You're, you're closer to a Christian from Shanghai, Tajikistan, Zimbabwe, than you would be someone who speaks your own language, who's not a believer, not a follower of Christ. You are closer to them. You're more a citizen of the same kingdom than they are otherwise. And Christians, we can take pride 
in our earthly citizenship. You know, we celebrate that in different holidays, July 4th and other things. We, we celebrate as responsible patriots. We're, we're glad. But our flag is at the foot of the cross with every other believer from whatever nation and tribe and tongue they are. We're all at the foot of the cross because Jesus has the one who's, who's, um, has saved us and rescued us. We don't drape our flag over the cross and as if it's more significant than other nations. We, it's submitted to Jesus Christ. His kingdom will reign, and we're, that's what it means to be a Christian, is to live for him. And that's our main identity, our main uh, calling in this life. That's our first citizenship is in Christ, this new humanity that Christ is building. So the first transformation that we are is citizens in God's kingdom. A second image in the same verse of 19, it says there that we are members of God's household. Now, it's one thing for Jew and Gentile citizens to live thousands of miles apart, right? And the second image is saying, no, actually, what Jesus did, he put you all under the same roof, the same household, the same family. If you look back on verse 18, it says, for through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. All Christians are in the same family, in one spirit to the Father. One faith, one Lord, one baptism, one spirit. We're all in the same household of faith. These verses point to us to the unity of the church because of the unity within God. The Bible teaches that there is one God, and within the one being that is God, there eternally exists three co-equal, co-eternal persons, the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And these three divine persons are so united that we can truly say God is one. This is the basis of the church that we'd say the church is one, unified. It's one under Christ. So we are brothers and sisters in this one family that God has created. And this reminds us of chapter one. We've learned it in verse five. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will. God is taking joy in adopting us to be his children from every tribe, tongue, people, and language, and to be his one people that he loves and adores. And he's going to, they're going to, little by little in this family, they're going to re resemble his, um, their father in heaven. So amazing transformation to go from aliens to citizens, being excluded from God's family to being included in his own household, to be his own children. And like any household, there is squabbling. So, but if we practice, right, peacemaking with God as our Father, we can make the house a pleasant place. Peacemaking is first to get the log out of your own eye. Peacemaking aims to glorify God more than our preferences. Peacemaking in a family spends time together with siblings and thinking the best of each other, praying for each other, reaching out, listening, hearing each other's priorities and concerns. And this is, this is something we stick with as family. You know, think of the implications for the church. Um, coming to meals, coming to activities, coming to fellowship. These are times of family gatherings, family meetings, family uh, fellowship for us to participate, for us to grow and mature. We are being brought into God's family because he chose us. Christ chose your brother and your sister in the Lord. We can trust him for this. 
He's uniting us to others. We didn't choose our family. He chose fellow Christians that we'd be a part of. So radical transformation, you go from being an alien to citizens in God's kingdom. You go from being outside of uh, fatherhood of God to being included as his family and all the promises of his family and the inheritance that you receive through being in his house. To this third image, you are being built into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, these images, remember, I said they're meant to help us understand the church. The church is likened to citizens in God's country, and it's likened to a family, brothers and sisters in growth. And now the church is the community of people that God dwells among through the Spirit. Think of this image of a holy temple in the Lord. I'm going to read these verses again in verse 20 to 22 built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together for God's dwelling in the spirit. Temples and holy places have have long been established features in world religions. You can travel the world and you'll see all sorts of temples and whatnot. And so these Gentile Ephesians who now were Christians, they lived in the middle of a religious cult in their city. There was a temple to Artemis or Diana. At the time, it was one of the seven wonders of the world. And nothing is more important for a structure than its foundation. The temple Artemis was built on false ideas and speculation and, and false truths. Or the temple uh, later was destroyed And practically, uh, nothing exists of it today. But just think about it. God is building a temple for all eternity. God is building something that is built on a foundation that will never fail. And that's the whole storyline of Scripture. When you think about it, really a wonderful idea of God dwelling with his people permeates the whole Bible. In the book of Genesis, the first chapters, God is dwelling with Adam and Eve in the garden. It's like a temple. It's a sanctuary for them. But because of their sin and rebellion against God, they were asked to, they are exiled from, from the garden. And so, but, that, but what was established there is God desires to dwell with his people. And in the Old Testament, we read how the people of Israel, after Exodus from Egypt, they constructed a tabernacle for God to dwell among them in the desert, a movable tabernacle. And this was later developed in a full-fledged temple by David's son, Solomon. And in 1 Kings 8, he uh, he prays over it and saying that the Lord's going to dwell among us. And it's a spectacular, moving account of God coming from heaven to dwell among his people to bless them. But eventually, the corruption of the rulers in Jerusalem caused God to send them into exile. The temple was destroyed. Jesus is the greater son of David. He made his dwelling among us. This is what the Gospel of John says. He he tabernacled among us. Jesus was standing at the Jerusalem temple, and he said, destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. He was talking about his body. The church is built on a foundation that will last. The church becomes the new temple of God extending God's presence through the earth. And this would have really encouraged these Ephesian believers. I mean, they, 
their little church gathering could have been 20 people in a home. And, and to be told, you're the temple of the living God as you gather corporately. Can you imagine how profound that is? And think about how transferable and mobile and expansive that is. God's going to build his kingdom with little, uh, these little dwellings where he exists over the world. He can do that anywhere, in a forest or in a home and various places. So think about God's plan to establish his kingdom through the church over the world. And that would have built these uh, Ephesian believers tremendously encouraged them. The foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. The church is not built on, on the people. It's built on their offices, their instruction. The church is built on the teaching of the apostles and the New Testament prophets. The apostles were the eyewitnesses of Christ, you know, consisting of the 12 apostles with Jesus and Paul and a few others. They were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The message the apostles preached were the very words of God. Their teaching laid the foundation for the church. And the foundation is built. It's a finished work. We're not building the foundation today. The church is built on this Christ-centered teaching in the Bible. And Christ is the cornerstone of the foundation. He's the first stone laid. And all the stones of the foundation were laid in sync, in line, in alignment to the cornerstone. They were fitted in accordance with the chief stone. And that's what we see in Christ. And we are being built on top of what's already been built as living stones, as bricks and bricks being connected together. That's the image. That's what's being expressed. All is built on Christ, supported by Christ. It has the shape of Christ and continues to get life from Christ. So Christ is the center of the building. He's, he's, the, he's the sustainer of it and the finisher. And just imagine for a minute a Gentile believer in Ephesus. Uh, they become Christians. So they stop going to the Artemis temple. They've repented of idolatry. They're not going to that temple anymore. But at the same time, they, were, they heard the gospel from Jewish Christians like Paul and others. But notice they didn't become Jews. They didn't have to be circumcised. They didn't have to adopt Jewish custom of dress and food and diet. When they, they didn't pray toward Jerusalem, they didn't have to make a, a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. They, they could worship Christ and be citizens and family in their city without Jerusalem. Pretty profound reality. Imagine, if you will, a neighbor of theirs, a pagan neighbor, asking uh, and this is an illustration from uh, Dick Lucas that uh, I saw written. It was really good. But imagine, uh, imagine this conversation. A neighbor says to them, A oh, neighbor, I see that you're very religious. Great. Religion is a good thing. Where's your temple now that you're, you're a Christian? Where's your holy place? Oh, we don't have a temple, replies the Christian. Jesus is our temple. No temple? But where do your priests work and, and do their ritual? Oh, we don't have priests to mediate the presence of God, replies the Christian. Jesus is our priest. No priest. But where do you offer your sacrifices to acquire the favor of your God? We don't need to, a sacrifice, replies the Christian. Jesus is our sacrifice. What kind of religion is this? It's, you know, sputters the neighbor. This is not what he understood religion should be. It's temple. It's sacrifice. It's 
You got to placate these uh, angry gods. We got to appeal to them. You have to do works of righteousness. And here they are, Christians in this setting with some that doesn't look anything like they were used to, and that's the profound gospel. That's what we're talking about. Think about what this means for us as church, church members. The best way to build the church is not by promoting ourselves, our cleverness, our ability to speak, our wisdom, our leadership. Our, uh, we're, not, we're not trying to entertain anyone in the church. We're just trying to be people who are experiencing the living God and worshiping him as he's revealed himself to us. And we're humbled. It's not about us. It's not about our greatness. We're, we're not here boasting of anything we can do. We're here just talking about the cornerstone. We're here just talking about the one who's wise and capable and has rescued us and we get life from him. That's Jesus Christ. That's what the church is. Verse 21 says this, in him, the whole building being put together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Uh, maybe you had, maybe English teachers, you, know, you, you always wonder when these students write mixed metaphors, you know, and that's because often the student has incongruent metaphors, you know, one sentence. These are congruent, though. These are, they're actually really compatible, but they're different. The building and the growth. The word for growth there, he's talking more about a plant or a human body, whereas the building, he's talking about a structure. And so these two metaphors are being used, and we're supposed to notice how each one highlights something about the church. So first, the building being put together, these stones, each piece and, and think about the pieces, what a mason would do with brick and layering. They, they chisel those stones. They, they have to fit the structure and the plan of the master architect. This isn't the, the plan of the stone to tell the master architect where you want to go or who you want to be. And uh, these are all decisions made for you. And these are chiseled out. And you're going to be shaped in this, in this place because that's his plan, his purpose. And you're going to align. There's a force greater than you, and that's the gospel because we're going to be aligned to Christ. There's, there's some uh, trajectory where we're headed in the shaping of us because he's got this great goal to make us more and more like Jesus Christ. And so that's, that's something that is stronger than our agenda and our preferences, and that's, that's what's happening in this building, being dwelt. And each one has a role. Each one is a precious piece and it's on the wall, and it's cemented to others. It's connected to that. So believers are now portrayed as the very stones which the heavenly temple itself will be. Wow. And this grows into a holy temple. So again, other verses talk about this word for growth is used more commonly with branches and Branches in the same tree and the same vine. Like Jesus said, he's the vine, we are the branches. Or as a body grows, a human body grows with many parts. Christ is ahead and we're his body as a church. Today we're welcoming uh, new members. And this is a great image for us to think about the body growing. His holy temple, it's holy because of the Holy Spirit. It reflects his character. It reflects God. Notice that this master builder indwelling it is going to shape going to be shaped. We're going to be shaped by him. The more we spend time with him, the more we're in corporate worship, the more we're participating in the sacraments, the more we're watching baptisms, the more we're administering to one another, we're being shaped by God, and that's going to grow us in holiness and righteousness and love and joy and peace and patience because we're going to sharpen one another. This building is going to reflect his character. So how do we grow together? Let me just 
mention four things um, of just how do we grow together. Well, first of all, it's built on the foundation of Scripture. It's God's Word. The building grows as God's Word is preached and taught and read and memorized and meditated on. That's the foundation. And, and particularly notice, secondly, it's Christ in all of Scripture, especially though as the Word connects to Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul is emphasizing big time your relationship to Jesus Christ here. In verse 21, he says, in him. At the end of 21, he says, in the Lord. At the beginning of 22, he says, in him. He's emphasizing. So Jesus is the indispensable. He's in that indispensable position for church unity and church growth. He's got the key spot for it all to revolve around. And we're to now, think about that. That means we should orient our whole lives around Jesus Christ. I mean, he, sh he should be on our minds, and we should be talking about him with the neighbors. We, we, we should be sharing with him. We, we should be continually shaped if we're out of sync. And maybe someone else will bring it to our attention because we want to follow Jesus. We want to be in line with him, and that's uh, central. But there's help for this. Notice this third point. So built on Scripture, especially Second one, the, the Jesus Christ. <clears throat> and third is we're indwelled by God's Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowers these changes. The Holy Spirit enlivens this ministry. We're living stones. <clears throat> and it's interesting, and sometimes um, Corinthians will talk about you're indwelled, you're, you're, you're a temple of the, of the living God, so God indwells you as an individual, but then there's something special promising about corporately gathering. There's something about the corporate worship that's being emphasized here that, that we will experience the presence of God in a way that we wouldn't experience elsewhere, in a way that we wouldn't experience in other types of meetings. And this is going to remind us of what God's doing when we do gather. And this fourth one, so Scripture, Christ, the Spirit, and this fourth one, notice what it says, being joined together, one another, being built together, essentially means like withness, togetherness. It's the idea of being together, in this together, and how we're benefiting each other. The whole structure, being joined together, grows. So the people of God grow by means of one another. We're actually instrumental because we're also filled with the Spirit, we're actually instrumental in each other's lives to be growing, to help one another, to encourage one another. And that's what we can pray for is, Lord, fill me with your spirit to use me in the words I share and the way I pray for someone. In hearing someone's story, encouraging someone um, during the week, reaching out, being connected to one another. And so if you if you're kind of thought, ah, I'm a Christian, I don't really need church. Well, let me, let me draw you back to that illustration of the football team. So let's say you got drafted, you're <clears throat> New Orleans Saints, you got the helmet, you know, jersey, cleats, and you just play in your backyard. You know, you threw the ball up and tried to kick some field goals that weren't there. And um, you're, 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 you, can, you can imagine, like, that might have worked, you know, the first week. You're just kind of, you know, excited to get started. But eventually, I think the question would be, Will you stay on the team for very long? Won't you eventually just kind of, why am I, why, why am I, why am I calling myself a saint? I mean, I'm not even really on the team. Why, why am I? And so you can see the implications of 
we're needed here. We're, we're needed for each other to come and participate. How else will you last? How else will you to see your whole purpose and why you were drafted and called and chosen in these images? And so this being built together is really, the implications are, well, we gotta, <clears throat> we gotta participate. We gotta be involved. I'm, I just wanna read these two verses from Ephesians 4. <clears throat> and they highlight this really well. Verse 15 and 16. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I think that really highlights what, what that last point is. So <clears throat> on the foundation of the church, is the word of God, Christ exalted by the power of the Holy Spirit, the people of God grow together into the dwelling place of God where he comes and ministers. This is the, the real goal of growth, isn't it? To be increasingly more and more the place where God is welcomed and rejoiced and worshiped and we experience more of him in our midst. If you're um, doing, I don't know if there's any kids doing the little little then you fill in. But if you are, somebody, maybe an adult, um, <clears throat> the answer is to this question. There's a question on the children's sheet that says, where does God love to live on the earth? And the answer is, God loves to live with his people. God loves to live with his people. You see, the main reality that distinguishes the church from all their institutions and organi organizations and religions is the real presence of God. It's not that we're more moral. It's not that we're more committed. It's not that we're more religious or more serious or that we're better at doing good in the world. It's not that we're less broken or less inclined to sin or it's not that we're more prone to do good or not. It's the presence of God with us that's changing us, transforming us. It's that God has chosen to make his home with us who are united to him through his son. So these images of a citizenship, welcome, brought into God's kingdom, of a family member, of uh, being alienated and foreign to God, being brought into his home under this hospitality to be adopted as his sons, and then as now, as a temple, being filled with the Spirit, we're being built up, we're part of this. The church is the temple of God, just as God dwelt with his people in the temple in the Old Testament, the garden, even more so now, he's dwelling with us. Jesus used this language of the temple to remind us of his great work. So 